Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I ask now that you come more and more in your power. Lord, come more and more in your light. Lord, come upon us. Lord, do the things that we cannot do, the things that we sang about. Jesus, that you would truly change our hearts, that you would change our lives. Lord, that you would make us the people of God that you designed us to be. Lord, do in us what we cannot do. We offer this afternoon, Jesus, the water of our lives, and we ask you to turn it into wine. Lord, that you would take our very ordinary ways and our very ordinary lives and use them for your extraordinary good in the kingdom. And we thank you. In your holy name, we pray, Lord Christ. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for the privilege of you just coming out today on this beautiful Saturday. One of the things I wanted to share was how I got here. And I'm still asking myself that question, how did I get here? I'm going to go really quick about my testimony, then I'm going to get to the message. So put your New York, New Jersey listening ears on. We're going fast forward. As Carolyn introduced, I am one of eight children, and my parents were not Catholic. They just had a lot of children. And I said to my mother one day, did you plan on having eight children? Duh, what was wrong with you? And she said, I didn't plan on having eight children. You all just happened. And so here I am in this family of eight children. My mother had us all baptized as infants, more like out of a superstition. God forbid something happened to the child and then they'd go to heaven. That's what she believed. They weren't anti-God or anything. They just, I never got in the car and went to church with my family. That's just something that didn't happen. And so I grew up in a predominantly Catholic and Jewish community in New Jersey. I did not know a Baptist until I came to Alabama. (laughs) That is the truth. And we all know that in the Diocese of Alabama, we are 2% Catholic. There's a whole bunch of Baptists around here. And so I didn't know a Baptist. We were left on our own to discover our faith. And so I would go to the Catholic Church with my Catholic friends and... I'll tell you one of my great confessions in my sin. I would go up and get communion as a non-Catholic. That's so wrong. But I believed, and I'll tell you, my Catholic friends at the altar would say, Spats is coming to the altar. Lightning's going to strike. But I just believed that God loved me too. And that I, there was room for me. And I, I was just ignorant of the Catholic teaching and the faith. But God always gets the last laugh, doesn't he? Here I am serving him in the Catholic Church, being a daily communicant, and I can do that now. 
I grew up in New Jersey, and I was a yoga instructor. I was standing on my head and oming out and in search of God, but I didn't find him. But it was a good journey anyway. God's always, always be respectful of the people who are on the journey, even if it's not what you think it should be. Because God is in it, no matter what their search is. There I was, my beloved Jim Pinto. He became a Christian first. You see, because I was a non-Christian. No faith, non-Christian. Living the life according to joy. Now, you know how much trouble somebody can get into. And I basically got into everything you could get into at the age of 17, living in New Jersey. I met Jim in high school, and we dated for six years, and I was like, show me the ring already. Six years, it's time to get married, otherwise I'm out of here. I gave you good years of my life. Finally, the good Italian boy proposed, and I said yes. Jim became a Christian first. Now, if you thought I was bad, Jim was really bad. Jim was a bartender in his former life, and he was, he's a beautiful package. He's gorgeous. He's spiritual. He's, he's just wonderful. He's the greatest man in the world. Do you know why? Because he's my husband. And you should think about that about your husband. You should think that you are married to the most handsome, the most loving, the most kind man in the world, even if he's not. You should think that about him. But Jim is those things. We got married. Jim really felt called by God to go to seminary. So we went to seminary in Pittsburgh. And Jim went to an Episcopal seminary. And he became an Episcopal priest. And after seminary, we moved to Fairfield, Alabama. And we lived there for 22 years, living among the people in Fairfield. That was my home. It's still my home. And I had four children, two of my beautiful girls here today. And we came just obeying God. I mean, what are two people from New Jersey doing in Alabama anyway? But we were loving Jesus. You see, when I was 17 years old, I fell madly in love with Jesus. And I haven't gotten over him yet. And believe me, he has taken me many varied places. Places I didn't want to go lots of times. But we were going to obey whatever Jesus said, whatever Jesus was asking of us. We were going to obey no matter what the cost. The first most difficult thing the Lord asked me to do was to leave father, mother, sister, and brother and go and follow him. Now, I literally woke up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, three months after my marriage. And I just got married two weeks and went off to seminary. So I woke up literally three months and thought, where am I? How did I get here? just obeying God and going after him. We were serving the Lord in Fairfield, and, you know, Jim's in the pro-life movement. We've done lots of things. We had a soup kitchen at our parish. We fed 150 people a day for 15 years. We had a medical clinic. We started a school. We just did anything God said to do. We would just, yes, we could do that. Yes, we could do that. Jim went to jail a million times, opened up the paper one morning, and it said, Jim Pinto being sued for $74 million. I said to Jim, do you think we need to tell the children this before they go to school today? Because somebody might say something to them. So Rebecca said, Daddy, don't give them one penny of your $74 million. We said, we won't. I wish I had $74 million. But anyway, it all went. I mean, we were just obeying God. Jim had a hitman assigned to him. I mean, life was full. 
it was, you know, it was never dull. And it's still never dull. Until, now I, for me, as the priest's wife, very happy in my life. 22 years in one parish with the same people, loving them, discipling them, pouring your life into them, caring about them. I mean, everything. And then my husband gets this deep desire in his heart to return back to the Catholic Church. Now, that means you have to give up everything, walk away from everything, everything that I am, my identity, who I am. I mean, this is who I am. I'm Joy Pinto, Jim Pinto's wife. I mean, that's who I am. Jim started this journey, and I wasn't coming happy, to tell you the truth. I was really happy where I was. And God was there, and I loved our people. And one day, Jim said to me, Joy, who do you think is in charge of the church? So in my Protestant thinking, I said, hmm, maybe Billy Graham? Maybe, who's in charge of the church? Did God create a church and then just leave us all to ourselves? Is that what a father would do? Who's in charge? Does somebody need to be in charge? I was like, Jim, I don't know who's in charge. And maybe the Pope's in charge. So then started this process. And then we went to Rome. And then coming back from Rome in 2003 of December... I knew I was making the journey. I knew that I was leaving my very Protestant life, my very beloved parish family, and I knew I was going to a place I knew not of. And so we said yes to the Lord. Why? Because we love Jesus. Why? Because there's treasures in the darkness in all the areas of our lives, wherever we are, whatever we're doing. God is in everything. We have to keep listening. We have to keep obeying. And we have to keep going. So we come to Catholic land, <laughs> right? We we're in the Episcopal Church, and we were as Catholic as you can be in the Episcopal Church. You can do that in the Episcopal Church. You could do lots of things in the Episcopal Church. You could ordain practicing homosexuals if you care to in the Episcopal Church. It was very open. You get it? So we left the Episcopal Church and came to St. Francis of Assisi in Bessemer. With Father Noel. You remember Father Noel? What an eclectic, colorful guy, eh? So Jim knew Father Noel. We just kind of went to St. Francis. And I would go to St. Francis, but you see, now I couldn't have communion. And now I had to go through RCIA. And now I had to submit to the authority. Now I had to surrender again to the process. And, oh, God, it hurt. I can't tell you how much it hurt. It hurt so bad. Every Sunday that I would go into church, I would go up and get blessed, do this thing, get my blessing, and go back to the pew and weep and weep and weep because I wanted Jesus. And so one Sunday I'm there, and thank God the people at St. Francis, you know, they just let you cry. They just, you know, they didn't know my history. They didn't know anything about me, but it was okay. They didn't ask any questions. They just figured, oh, that lady over there is just maybe having a bad day. <laughs> well, here we are, and, and I would just, one Sunday, I mean, I thought my chest wall was going to break. 
And I wanted Jesus in the sacrament. See, because in the Episcopal Church, you, be- you can believe, if you care to, that he literally is the body and blood of Jesus. You could believe that. Whether he is that, I don't know, but you can believe that. And I believe that. All my life, growing up in, the, in that and being a good Episcopal priest's wife. And so this one Sunday, I was like, Jesus, I just have to find you. Where are you? I have to receive you. What? And I was just like dying. And he said to me, find me. I was like, find you? And I went to Father Noel. I was like grabbing him by his his chasuble. Help me, you know. And he was just like, what about Eucharistic adoration? Well, I had no file for that. I'm Protestant. So Eucharistic adoration. So I ran to OLS at Eucharistic Adoration, and I would just sit before the Blessed Sacrament and just engage my Jesus. And I'm so thankful for the authority of the Catholic Church to surrender to the process. I got a really good humbling. Everybody needs a good humbling. Whether you think you do or not, if you don't, you have too much pride and you need to confess that the next time you go to confession. But everybody needs a good humbling. And I was humbled to the base of me. To the base of me. It was so beautiful. This journey was so painful. Yet at the same time, it was so great. And I just kept going after the Lord. And I did Eucharistic adoration. And then finally, Easter vigil, I got to have Jesus. It was the longest 40 days, and we did go on the fast track a little, but it was the longest 40 days ever. And so, when I, that night our friends came, we were there. I, I'm telling you, I really thought I was going to implode. I mean, I really did. I thought, oh my gosh, this is everything that I've waited for. This is it. Because there is power in the sacrament. There is power in confession. There is power in the Eucharist. And we need to believe that there's power in these sacrifices to transform our lives and every good grace that's available to us. And I went up there and I told Father Noel before, I said, Father Noel, I will not be responsible for anything that happens to me. You can't hold me accountable. I'm just new. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm shaking. I'm trembling and I'm trembling. And I eke up there and I just can't wait. And now my, all my children are behind me because all of our children came to the Catholic Church with us. And except my oldest son, Matt, you know, they all went to John Carroll. It wasn't like it was a big leap in what they did, but it was a big leap. They'll tell you their story a whole nother day. They got a whole nother story. They're crazy parents. But anyway, and so I'm up there before the Eucharist and I'm like, I, I am going to receive my Jesus, he's going to come inside me. This is it. This is, this is the climax of why I live. And I went before the Eucharist, and, and he put the body of Jesus in my mouth. And I can't even put into words what happened to me. I yelled, and I cried, and, and I don't know. I was just like, but my children were behind me like, Ma, we've been waiting too. And St. Francis was so wonderful. You know, they just let me fall apart. They just let me have my moment before God. Nobody asked any questions or anything. And, and then I got the blood, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. And so now here I am being fully Catholic. That was really fast. This is me. We have four children. Three of them come in. Matt's out. He's in the, he's not out. He's in, but he's He's in Jacksonville, Alabama. There are two Catholic churches there, and we're praying he does come in. 
the deal is, is that wherever God places you, whatever, wherever he places you, wherever you are in your journey, we have to surrender. There were so many days and nights I didn't have a clue, but God did. I've learned in my life, and if we all live long enough, life will teach us that we need to trust the process. Right? I have children, and some of them are married. And first of all, when my first son, Matt, got married, I wanted to give him advice. But he wasn't asking me for advice. So I said to Jim, he's not asking me. Jim said, that's your first clue. He doesn't want your advice, Joy. He has heard you for 20 years. He knows what you're going to say. He doesn't want your advice. And I was just like, but I have so much to tell him. And you have to step back as a parent, right, when you have grown children. And you have to say, i got to trust the process in their life. Life will teach them. Of course we don't want them to make the same stupid mistakes we made, but life will teach them. Jim and I used to do premarital counseling before Jim married people, and we would do six months of premarital counseling. And you know how everybody is when they're first in love, and, and you know, you meet with a couple, and you're thinking, you know in your heart, about a week after that ring hits the finger, all oh, hell is going to break loose in their lives. But, but they don't know that, and you don't need to tell them. And so here we are doing the premarital counseling, and then after the six months, we would always have uh, a three-month checkup. You have a three-month checkup, come back in and let's talk. You try to teach people to depend on God. Now, you can say that, and you want to teach that. You want to say, you, you don't have enough love for a lifetime for this man. You, you just don't possess it. Oh, but I love him, and oh, you know. It's like when we get married, and we're looking for that ideal man, and we marry that ideal man, and then about seven years into the marriage, he becomes the ordeal man. (laughs) And then about 20 years into the marriage, you're looking for a new deal man. (laughs) You know how that goes. And so here here comes this precious couple, and I just have to say, hey, how's that love working for you? It's not working. She's like, I can't stand him. And he can't stand her. And I said, well, I tried to tell you. You can't do this. You and I don't possess this love that we have to be happily married for 30 years without God. You and I don't possess the love to be a great mother or a great wife. We have to go to God. I'm going to teach you my greatest prayer. This is Joy Pinto's greatest prayer. God, help me. You see, life taught me. God, help me. I can't do this. And I am madly in love with Jim Pinto. Literally, when he walks in the room, my heart skips a beat. I lose my breath. I mean, it's a miracle. It's a miracle because God is in our marriage. It's not because Jim is the perfect husband or because I'm the perfect wife. We know better. It's because we serve a perfect God who's using our lives and is transforming us and who we're surrendering to. And I'm going to give you one great marriage tip. This is all I got after 20 years of teaching. If you are not praying daily with your spouse, 
you are open enemy for the, for the enemy to come into your marriage. If you do not pray with your spouse, all of hell will wreak havoc in your marriage. That's the only thing Jim and I have going for us. It's prayer. You see, because when we're praying together in our marriage, and we have journeyed many places. You know, when Jim was doing this Catholic journey thing back, and he was reverting back to the Catholic Church, it was not just a journey of his faith or my faith. It was a journey of our marriage. I had to say, he's taking me away from everything that I love. I got to trust Jim. And it's not always fun to trust your spouse. But he's manifest to me. Jesus is made manifest to me in his presence. You know, it's Jim, and and, and I have to obey, and I have to surrender. And we as women, you know, we don't like to hear that. I don't have to surrender. I'm telling you, go ahead, live your life of being unsurrendered and unsubmitted, and I bet you're not happy. I choose by an act of my will, and you have to confess that, because my will doesn't choose this. I choose by an act of my will to surrender first to God, then to my husband, and then to all the other people in my life. You see, God works in all of our relationships. We always think if the other person would just change, everything would be great, wouldn't it? (laughs) But God is about changing you and changing me. Oh, if he would just be kinder. If he would not be so impatient, if he would just be more understanding, what about us? When I was in parish ministry in the church, I used to have what were called EGP. They were called my extra grace people. Do you have those people in your life? Those people, when you see them coming, you know you need an extra amount of grace just to say hello. I mean, you know who they are. My list is getting shorter and shorter, thank God. But I used to have a list. Now, that's not good if you're the priest's wife. And my children knew my extra grace people. And they would sometimes head them off of the path. What it was was a place to make me more dependent on Jesus. You see, because I'm not living this life according to Joy Pinto. If I lived my life according to me and God answered every one of my prayers, do you know that my children would have never woken up from birth to five? (laughs) Oh, God, please let them sleep. Oh, just please let them sleep. I don't want to get up at three o'clock in the morning. I'm telling you, if God answered every prayer, they would have slept from birth to five years. But he doesn't answer all of our prayers in the way that we think he should answer them because he is about transforming us into his image. And that means dying to yourself. That means God bringing the worst out of you. The worst. That the best may come in. But it's got to come out. It has to come out. Recently I had a another little incident. And uh, it was last November. I was minding my own business, doing life, trucking right along, happy being Catholic, moving along, everything going good in my life. And I wasn't feeling so good physically. And I just wasn't feeling good. And I couldn't get past this not feeling good. And I went to the doctor, had a million tests, and they weren't finding anything wrong. How we do as women, 
joy. It's just menopause. (laughs) So I just chalked it up to menopause. I had cancer. I didn't have menopause. I mean, I still have menopause. I'm still in that cycle. But I had cancer. I mean, I felt yucky for a reason. When, we, when the doctor came in and me and my beloved were there, we had plans that weekend. We were leaving that weekend. We were going to go to, Jim had a business trip. We were going to San Francisco. I mean, I had my calendar worked out. And the doctor came in and she said, Mrs. Pinto, we found a tumor. And it is cancer. And it is stage three. And it has infiltrated some of the nodes. And you're going to have to have surgery. And and I just had a colonoscopy, and that's where they found this thing. And, you know, you're a little medicated, which is nice, because you don't hear the full shock of it all. She looks to Jim, and she says, I'll give you some surgeons' names, and you need to pick out a surgeon today. And we need to have surgery today. I was just like being on the bed and listening to what she said. I wish I could tell you the experience of faith that rose up deep within me. You see, because in the readings today, in Abraham, you talked about faith. We are people of faith. Either we are or we're not. You can't be a person of faith and talk about faith and then you don't experience faith. You and I will be tested and tried in this life. In this life, you will have sufferings and trials and tribulations. So don't think God is hes against you. He is for you. But he's working about his purpose in you to bring you to himself. Every incident is about him, not you. It's about him transforming you into his image. You see, when I die, and I will die one day, I don't know what I'm going to die of, but we're all going to die. And you know what? I face death. Let me tell you something. It ain't so bad. I'm a Christian. I live in faith. I am in a win-win situation. I mean, we either believe that or we don't. Somebody said in the readings today, they're out on the storm and the disciples, there's a storm coming. And what does Jesus do? He rises up and he speaks to the storm and he says, quiet, be still. And that's what he does to you and me when we encounter the storms of our lives. He rises up, something rose up within me. And I said to Jim, I'm going to be okay. I mean, I, I'm going to be okay. We call the children. The children come in. Their eyes are swollen. Mommy, I'm going to be okay. Like all you non-believers, fearless, fearing people, get out of here. You know, they're like, mom, what's going to happen? I'm going to be okay. Now, I had to have surgery. I was, which is not pretty, all those lovely new lines, but I'm embracing all my lines. I'll never wear a bikini again, so bad. So I have new scars, but it's just a testimony to my life in Christ. So I have a scar so that when I go to Jesus, I can say, Jesus, look, look, I just, and let me tell you something, going, doing chemotherapy, and I know there are women in this room who have also cancer patients, and you have also done chemotherapy and radiation. And for me, when it was a journey to hell 
and back. It was. Did it mean I wasn't a Christian? Did it mean I didn't have enough faith? Did it mean God wasn't with me? No, God was with me. And he said to me, Joy, in this valley, you're going to find the lilies in this valley, Joy. You and I are going to dance in this valley, Joy. You see, because dancing with the Lord is what I do in my life. I have intimate moments of dancing with Jesus. And there was a whole nother time in my life when I was dancing in the fire with the Lord. And I was just like, I knew I was in the fire. This season was not ending. And I wanted a little time frame to it. You know, Lord, like, give me a heads up how much longer. Because I'll be a good pilgrim on this journey, but just give me a tip. And he said to me, Joy, when you can dance with me in this fire, you're out of here. Then let's start dancing. Let's go. And so I got up with the Lord and I would dance. And there was one day, one day, I was in bed for 17 hours. And my son Wesley made me this, was an MP3 player, put in all my favorite songs. And I was in bed and I was just worshiping. And Jesus asked me to get up and dance with him. And I got up out of my bed. I was the color beige. You know, chemotherapy makes you turn beige. My children said, Mom, you're the color of the refrigerator. (laughs) I mean, it just does horrible things to you. And I got up in my bedroom, and I danced with the Lord. And I went back to bed. You see, because chemotherapy was going to end. It wasn't going to last forever. The storms in our life, they're just for a season. But we have to be people who are full of faith, full of hope, full of love. Do you know what the readings for tomorrow are? Love is patient and kind. Now, that's such a familiar passage to all of us. But what a moment in time to encounter love. After the surgery, even before chemo hit my body, I said to Jim, just to know right now what I've experienced, how much I love you, and how much I love Jesus right now, this is all worth it already. Even before chemo started. And so there are treasures in the dark moments of our life. Jesus is there. He said he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. The communion of saints, I couldn't have friends. I mean, my my circle got so small. When you're doing the valley time, your circle gets so small. And I wanted to talk to people. I'm an extrovert. I like people. People give me energy and I just love it. But I had nobody to talk to. So I started calling on the saints. Me and Padre Pio, the communion of saints, they surrounded my bed. 
They accompany us through the storms of life. And they say to you and they say to me, you are not alone. They're cheering for you, saying, don't quit. You can finish this race. I know there'll be another storm in my life. Just because you do cancer and chemo, that's not the, I don't know what else is out there. God does. But my bags are packed. I know what he did for me in the past. And always, 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 I say, wait a minute. Let's take an assessment here. I know what you've done for me before. I know what you're going to do for me tomorrow. I mean, that's our faith. That's what I choose to believe and I choose to live. In love, in hope. Right? Otherwise, let's stop being Christians. This is our journey so that we would be a blessing to Almighty God. Don't you want to be a blessing? Don't you want to wake up and be a child that pleases the heart of God? My mother had eight kids. I was one. I tried not to give her too much trouble, but I did. I have four kids. I wished every day all four of my kids would wake up and say, I want to be a pleasing child to my mother today. (laughs) We had our battles. But just think of all the people all over the world that God sees and loves and cares for. Those who are living his life, those who are in outright full rebellion of him. He still loves them. Don't you want to be the one child that wakes up that day and says, Jesus, I just want to bless you today. I just want to bless your name. When we were going through this whole cancer thing, I was out to lunch with um, my friend Barb. During chemotherapy, I wanted to redecorate. And my husband was so kind. Don't redecorate during chemotherapy. But I wanted to. It was on my calendar. And just cancer just interrupted that. So I said, Jim, let's just keep on decorating, okay? So, okay, so, you know, we did new carpet and we painted. And my family, the show, the people go out of their house and when they come home, it's made over. Well, that happens to me. I go out and I come back and my people remake a whole room. They paint it. It dries. I don't know how it dries. I stay out really long, though, when I do go out. And all the furniture gets back in place. And there's no paint smell in the house. Now, this has happened twice. I go out as much as I can. Maybe they'll do the whole house. They did my living room, and then they did the kitchen. Now, we just put new carpet in. I'm to lunch with Barb, and the phone rings. Hey, it's my Anna. And she says, Mom, something bad has happened. Well, when you hear cancer, now you have a whole nother level of what bad is right? See, everything is relative. We have a new measurement of what bad is. So I'm thinking bad. Life-threatening's bad. Did we get in an accident? Somebody... So she said, I ruined the carpet. So I said, no, you didn't ruin the carpet because I'm an incredible optimist. She said, yeah, Ma, I ruined the carpet. So I said, Anna, don't worry. It's carpet, not cancer. (laughs) Right? Because everything's relative now. Now, 
Mind you, Jim Pinto did not share my sentiments about this. I went home from lunch, and there was ruined carpet. Mayanna was cleaning up the kitchen that she and her brother had just painted for me. And she was being, Anna is a pleasing child, and she was doing extra special work. And she was just going around cleaning up the rug just to make sure there weren't any spots on it. But she used a rag that had Clorox cleanup on it. I came in, and there were orange spots just everywhere. And I said, oh, Anna, really, it's okay. It's carpet. It's not cancer. And the smoke is coming out of Jim Pinto's ears. He said, please, let me feel what I'm feeling. Because I'm not feeling the same way you are about this right now. He had to write the check for the new carpet. But really, it's just money. I can't take that carpet with me. But I take my Anna with me to heaven. She's the one, the relationship, the most important thing. What was I going to do, blast her out of the water? What what goodness of that have made? It was just carpet. It was replaceable. And that's how we have to make our investment in people, not things. When I laid in that bed, in my newly decorated bedroom, which my husband newly decorated for me, it was the most beautiful bedroom in the whole world. He figured if I was spending six months in this bed, it was going to be pretty. And it was. And I lay in that bed. And I could see my closet and all the clothes. And on the table, I had all my jewelry on the thing. And all the things that I thought were so important to me. All the money in the world can't buy you and me one more day of health. It can't. And when Olga read that poem about the day and and every day is a gift. When I experienced my birthday this year... It was a little anticlimactic. I was like, it's my birthday, but I didn't feel special. Because I always feel special on my birthday. Jim makes me feel special on my birthday. And I was like, Lord, why don't I feel special today? Because after cancer, every day is your birthday. That's really true. You get a whole new perspective of living. And I can stand before you and say, I can thank God Almighty for that diagnosis, for the healing, for the deliverance. And I thank you if you uttered ever one prayer for me, sent me a mass card, made me a meal, talked about me, whatever you did. Thank you. Because we are people of faith. Our prayers matter. Our prayers can bring people back from the dead. And there were days I was dead. And you just think, is this worth it? And I would have these pictures, these flood of pictures. Not of my house, not of my car, not of vacation places. My children, my grandchildren. Those are the faces. My husband, my friends, my family. Those are what you live for. That's who I care about. And that's what God does. So we have to influence everybody in our lives for God's good. Your church family. You and I are not promised tomorrow. Some of us might not even make it home today. But we presume that we will. 
And I hope we all do, but we're not promised that. And so we have to live well. You have to love well. And Jim kept saying to me, Joy, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And I said to Jim, I want to suffer well. I want to suffer well. I don't want to do this again. I want to suffer well. I want to get every lesson I'm supposed to learn from this experience. And I want to get on with my life. Because if God allows, I want to live a long life. I got a lot of plans. There is an old Yiddish proverb. You want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Right? But we presume. And we have to repent of presuming. Even in our marriages, in our families, in our children. That everybody's going to be here forever. They're not. You have buried people in your life, haven't you? People that you've loved. People that you've cared for. It's not fair. People said to me, Joy, were you afraid? I wasn't afraid. I really wasn't afraid. I couldn't work up being afraid. I was so stuck in peace. I was stuck. I couldn't move. It was like I was in a quicksand of, I was in peace. And there I stayed. I just stayed there. I went to church every Sunday, hobbled in, hobbled out, had Jesus. It, It just transformed my life. So whatever you are facing, whatever your trial is, whatever your suffering is, the scriptures tell us to count it all joy. That makes no sense. But we are. We are to count it all joy. When you've run out of love in your marriage, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ can ignite a passion of love in your heart to change your marriage. Even if he doesn't change, he wants to change you and your approach to the whole marriage. Maybe you've been the problem all these years. Go figure. It could be you. God, change me. You know, we are, we're just, we're just clay in the potter's hand. And no matter how we have royally messed up, and some of us have royally messed up in our lives, Jesus never, ever throws the clay away. That's good news. And so you say, you know, I am dead. I go to mass and, and I'm numb. I'm in, I'm in, ch- I don't feel, I don't think. I'm just going, just keep on going and just keep saying, Lord, I choose by an act of my will to keep coming, to keep surrendering. God, I want to feel again. God, take my heart. It gets cold and it gets stony. God, make it a heart of flesh that it would beat that I would care about somebody. Don't you get sick of yourself sometimes? You don't even care. We just flip the channel. Three people died. Oh, sorry. We're so callous. We become desensitized to life. For you and I go to bed tonight, 4,400 babies are going to be killed. And we go to bed and, and we don't care. We don't even pray a prayer. We don't even tell God, God, we're sorry. Have mercy on us. At least say that. Lord, heal the women from abortions. Heal the men. You see, because one day all of those children are going to be in heaven. And I believe, for me, that when I get to heaven, there'll be babies who said, that lady Jesus, she prayed. That lady Jesus, she stood in front of the abortion clinic and begged my mother not to go in. 
That lady, Jesus, don't you want that testimony about you? We have to do something. We have to care. We have to love. I've taken in five girls in crisis pregnancy into our home. I would be down at the abortion clinics begging girls not to have abortions. And they just go right in. Their mothers take them. Their grandmothers take them. And they just say mean and horrible things to you. And I said to this one girl, I said, what would stop you from doing this? Just tell me. Tell me what it is. And she said, if I had a place to live. My mother doesn't want me. She told me that if I got pregnant, she would, that's it. I'm done. Is that what God does to us? I'm talking about unconditional love. The love that you're going to hear about tomorrow in the scriptures. Love. It never fails. Mothers throw their children away. We have to be women who rescue children, who rescue other women. To say, come, come on, get in the car. I'll take you home. Lady, you don't know me. I know I don't know you, but you need a place to live. And I got a room, so I guess you could stay. And then my kids come home from school and they say, Ma, who's this lady? Oh, she's going to be living with us for a while. Oh, okay. And then they love. And then they get to see the choices when we disobey God, the consequences of our actions. But God doesn't throw us away. And if your mother threw you away or your father threw you away, God will never throw you away. And so we had to be people who rescue and take people in. The women who lived with us, they would, some of them were crazy. I need to write a book called My Front Door because I have entertained some folk in my front door. Living in Fairfield, living in the church rectory, we had the soup kitchen right across the street. We had big white flashing neon lights at our house. Come in here. The Pintos are here. They don't know nothing. They'll tell you. They'll take you in. They'll feed you. I mean, they love crazy people. I mean, don't you want to be guilty of loving people? Well, where are you going to get this love? You're going to get it from Jesus. You're going to run to the sacrament. And when you mess up and you royally screw up, you're going to run to confession and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned because I have been unkind. I have not loved well. I have been mean. I have been cruel. I have been evil. That's inside of us. We can be evil, cruel people in the church, not outside the church, in the church. I've encountered them. Sometimes I've been her. So we have to cry out, God have mercy. Lord, change me, transform me, use me. And so that when you and I go through all of these trials, all of these tribulations, live long enough and you will, and it's okay, that you would count it all joy, that you would be full of faith, and that you would run back to the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I need more. I need more of you and less of me and more of you and less of me. That's my prayer. And at the end of this life, all I want to hear is, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come and enter your rest. We're all looking to be done this side. We ain't done. We're all pilgrims. We're all on a journey. Nobody's perfect. Don't think you're more than you're not. You're not. Just get an honest look at yourself. You're a sinful mess. We all are. We're created in the image of God Almighty, but we are sinners on the road to holiness. I want to be a saint. 
Don't you want to be a saint? Or do you want to just wake up every day and be a sinner? I don't want to be a sinner. I do that well. I want to be a saint. And that's my goal. And I want that to be your goal. And I want you to live well. And I want you to love well. And God has made every provision for you. You have the Eucharist. What more do you need? I could sing songs about the presence of God till the cows come home. And I like to sing and I like to worship. But it's when I have the presence of God that I know I'm being transformed. Let's pray. Lord, I ask now that you come. Lord, that you would be at work in us. Lord, that you would transform us, that you would do what we cannot do. Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry for all the clutter in our lives. Lord, we're sorry for all the days when we didn't please you. Lord, we're sorry when we grieved your heart. Lord, we ask that you would give us great mercy. And Lord, I pray now that you would infuse us, that you would set our hearts on fire with your love. Tomorrow, Jesus, as we hear the love passage, Jesus, that it would change us, that it would not fall on deaf ears. Lord, I pray that we would live well, that we would suffer well, and Lord, that we would die to our own sin and our own selfishness well. And Holy Spirit, we know that you will move in us and change us and transform us and make us to be like you, more of you and less of us. And Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to bear testimony to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the lover of my soul. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.